do you realize what I've just done? Do you realize what this is about? I've kept you waiting before we've actually started this webinar. How did that make you feel? I guess for some of you have been actually on this, uh, this call for a while. You probably were there thinking, hold on a minute. Have I missed something? Do I need to press refresh? Um, it's all a little bit awkward. I can't hear anybody. I don't know if there's anybody. Yeah, I don't know if there's anybody available. This is really quite interesting, isn't it? Anytime we do something like this, anytime we are late to a meeting, we set a certain precedent, we set a certain expectation that this meeting is not going to go particularly well. And of course, that can be a really, really big challenge. If you're the host and maybe not a particularly experienced host, you are starting off the presence in that meeting in a really kind of awkward way. You're not setting necessarily the best example for what might be termed an effective meeting. And that's what we are here to explore today. So the topic that we're covering here as part of Cambridge Marketing College's personal and professional development series as we go through 2022, uh, we're focusing in on a host of different topics which people at the moment are finding probably the most challenging things in this current very busy, uh, very uh, sort of hectic uh, work environment. And by popular request, running more effective meetings has been a topic that we have realised is something that people are going to want to be focusing on and covering as we go through uh, this year because it is getting super, super complicated. We, we all know the basics of running a good meeting, um, you know, starting off with actually, do I need a meeting at all? You know, is there something here that is going to be useful to me to actually, you know, have a conversation, communication with other people? Um, we also know that we should only really be inviting the right people who actually need to be there. And of course, having a clear agenda that we circulate in advance and coming up with some kind of schedule so that we know the right people are in the meeting at the right time. You know, these are not kind of complicated things to do. But in the latest meetings that you've been in, what has that felt like? Um, obviously, I did a slightly contrived start to this particular meeting, if we could call it that, because I wanted to kind of maybe set a scene that was probably quite typical of a lot of meetings that we all attend. And of course, the lack of pre-planning can often mean that the meeting starts a little bit late. Um, and if we don't set a positive and productive tone for the meeting, in other words, beginning on time, considering actually who is in the meeting and the strengths that they might be bringing to play here. And of course, what I haven't done here is formally invite you to contribute to this meeting. I haven't told you that there is a chat option here available. You can use the Q&A at the end of this particular presentation. But of course you can. And now I'm telling you that because obviously I'm playing catch up. But by not doing that professionally at the start of this, it's possibly left you thinking, hold on a minute, is, is this going to be all one way? Is he actually inviting me to contribute? I'm not really quite sure. So I consciously, consciously made this start of this particular webinar quite kind of chaotic. I haven't actually really described what we're going to be covering. I haven't given you an agenda of kind of what to expect. 
I haven't said who's on the call, how to kind of interact with them or not. I haven't really set expectations here. I haven't said that we're going to be recording this or we're not recording it. I haven't said about, you know, who's going to be taking any notes if that is required. I haven't even encouraged you to take notes. And I also haven't really formally and officially invited you to put your questions or comments into the chat box or the Q&A at the end of the presentation. So how does that make you feel then as an attendee? It's kind of all the things that we know we should be doing, but how many people actually do that? So as we go through this particular presentation, and yes, I'll be serious for a moment now, there, there is a chat uh, facility and we are going to do a Q&A at the end of this. So please do add any questions that you have into the menu bar. And we can talk about any of the challenges that you've had, any th things that you observe as we go through some of these ideas and techniques that I want to share with you in terms of running more effective meetings. Um, so I really, really would encourage you to do that. But I've consciously been very, very unprofessional at the start of this. And I may or may not, as we go through the rest of this particular presentation, may not or may I'm not going to tell you in advance, but dip in or dip out of professional presentation versus a little bit chaotic, maybe a bit of silence, maybe a bit of like, what's going on now? Oh, have I lost connection? Because this is the reality. This is what we're all facing right here, right now, is that there is this really blended kind of feeling, I guess, with meetings. Meetings of old, we used to kind of know exactly what they were. We would know a certain number of people would arrive and they would be face to face in the room. So we kind of could predict what was going to happen. We knew who the host was at the meeting. So it was something that was kind of in a relatively comfortable zone. We knew what our strengths were. We knew if and when we had to to make a presentation. Uh, we knew that we'd get some kind of briefing notes at the start. It was all quite predictable. So if you've been in meetings over the years, you'll kind of know that you can kind of predict the outcome. You sort of know what's going to happen. But since the global crisis has kind of taken shape and obviously we've seen blended meetings manifest and we now know that we can actually have a number of people maybe in the same room, same shared space as us. But we're also trying to juggle that shared space with people who are joining the meeting virtually. So it has become quite complicated, quite chaotic. And for a lot of us, um, maybe even experienced hosts of meetings, maybe you're a team leader and you're quite used to hosting the team meeting, it's become a little bit more chaotic and a little bit more difficult to manage. And we all know this. But there are some fundamental principles, which I'm going to cover with you as we go through this session, that hopefully allow you to take back a little bit of that control and just to ensure that you're very much getting the best out of the time that you're investing as an individual, but also as a team or as a group, or really importantly, the time that you're investing with your customers because that is also something that is part now of this kind of blended meeting situation or blended meeting scenario that we face. So the first question I really want to get you thinking about here is it really is a meeting necessary. And is this meeting actually really a meeting? So the next time somebody says, oh, we, you know, we need to put a meeting together. I think very much the first question is, is that the best way of sharing the information, would a presentation, for example, be a more effective way of communicating? 
Um, is it simply that maybe just a, a circulated status update could be a better use of time? So actually questioning the need for a meeting at the outset is often a very good thing to do. And we do, as we all know, fall into that little trap of, oh, we have to have a meeting because we always have the meeting or yeah, this is a, a weekly update. So we always have to do it the same way. Maybe challenging that status quo could be an effective thing to begin to critique whether or not you're actually having too many meetings and whether those meetings are actually productive. Now, the first thing I did at the beginning of this particular um, conversation was I didn't start on time. And I consciously didn't start on time because I just wanted you to kind of sense as a little bit of a wake up here, what it's actually like. And that slight confusion of, hmm, are we actually starting on time? Have we kind of checked in with everyone? And uh, actually every 10 minutes, just making sure everybody's okay. And that would be one of my first little tips. A lot of the time as hosts in meetings, we don't necessarily check in with everybody. We're trying to manage the noisy characters and we'll explore those in a while. Uh, we're trying to kind of keep to the agenda because we've set that agenda. We wanna make sure we've ticked all the boxes. And sometimes we can lose sight of maybe the quieter members of the uh, of the meeting who might have something to contribute, but we didn't really check in with them until maybe right at the end. So starting on time and checking in with everybody is going to be a, a real kind of theme as we go through this, because it is super important. And another thing that we do need to check out here is whether or not the meeting is at the optimal time for everybody. Now, this is really, really important because if the meeting isn't at the optimal time, particularly if you're talking with external stakeholders, so customers, suppliers, business partners, it's really important that you reflect a mutually convenient time. A lot of the time, you know, I'm attending meetings where it's actually not that convenient for me. Um, I've got international clients and, of course, I need to try and blend um, in that kind of you know, working across time zones. I need to kind of blend, you know, my working life with their kind of time zones and their reality. So we have to be very, very mindful of the others who are involved in the meeting. Okay, so we'll explore how we can deal with that. And one of the great things that has come out quite recently um, from this, uh, just a little uh, question mark that's come up in the Q&A. Will we be sent the slides afterwards? Um, yes, Marjorie, the slides will become available uh, to everybody who's registered. So yes, uh, you don't have to take a load of notes, but uh, hopefully if that is helpful to you, then please do so. But yes, the, the slides will be shared. Um, the thing that's really come out of these blended meetings, um, and one of the key things that I've noticed in terms of the real quality of outputs, is the idea of the breakout. Okay, so this wasn't something really we'd use apart from maybe in a big meeting, maybe a big team meeting on a away day back in the day, whereas now the power of breakouts and if you've used Teams meetings and you've used Zoom and other services are available, um, you will have noticed that the breakout, particularly for larger groups, is becoming very, very in vogue, very, very in fashion. And I think that's one of the really great things, even for small meetings, the power of the breakout where you break the meeting down into little kind of manageable bite-sized chunks. And that can often be a very useful way of managing it.
did that happen again for you? Was there a sudden sort of, oh, hold on, have I lost connection? Oh, what's happening? What's going on? It's interesting, isn't it? If you're hosting a meeting or a webinar and then suddenly there's silence or suddenly your connection goes down, how are you dealing with it? This is going to be something that we are going to explore. To me, it's a really kind of fascinating thing. The kind of the level of expectation of professionalism, I think, in some ways has actually dropped. Meeting expectations are kind of morphing into something quite different. We expect there to be moments of silence. I'm not going to do the little game play that I've been doing anymore. I'm going to just stick with the, uh, the presentation. We'll keep it professional from this point. But I just wanted you to kind of, again, just be aware that these things happen. You know, bandwidth will suddenly drop. Connections will drop. And if you're hosting a meeting, how are you going to cope with that? So whilst the power of the breakout is great, you still need to be able to keep control, particularly if you are hosting a meeting virtually. So what we're going to do is we're going to explore, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a dance between online meetings, blended meetings and completely virtual meetings. And I'm also going to do a little dance between kind of internal team meeting style meetings, meetings with your, uh, your manager, your line manager or your boss, and also meetings with external parties. Because for a lot of us now, these blended meetings are also with clients and customers. So we're going to, as we go through this presentation, and I promise you, I, I'm not going to do any of the funny little kind of uh, moments of pausing and just stopping and, and making it awkward. That is it now. I've, I've had enough of my gameplay. We're going to keep this one professional. But it is very much a blend. And this is really what we're going to be covering. So the first thing that we need to do here, and I'm going to kind of take you through a series of kind of checklists so that you can decide whether or not your meeting's necessary, whether or not you think the, um, the attendees are the right attendees, how to kind of filter in and out the right kind of sort of sentiment and the right targets and objectives for your meetings. And then some of the little tips about keeping control from within the meeting. And that's also important. So let's begin with deciding your meeting type. Now, this is really crucial because this will set the tone of the style of your meeting. OK, so there are many different types. Um, yeah, I've got this list from Calendly.com, which is a really, really useful uh, little blog that they created, which was all about deciding your meeting type, because you need to be super clear to all attendees about the style and type of the meeting, because this will set the tone and the structure before you even begin to think about agenda and who's going to come. Okay, so the first thing to do is think about, is this a status update meeting? Is this a decision making meeting? Are we trying to solve a problem in the meeting? Are we looking to build the team? So is this a team building meeting? Is it purely an information sharing meeting or could it be something quite creative, an innovation meeting? So status updates are going to be very, very different to decision making. Um, the format of the meeting, the structure, the style of the meeting is going to be very, very different, fundamentally different based on your choice. So status update, decision making, problem solving, team building, information sharing or innovation. Now, of course, the length of the meeting is going to be very much dependent on this style of meeting. So you need to begin by stating very, very clearly it's this type of meeting. And I'm not saying any one meeting is more effective than any others, but what I'm saying is that as soon as you decide the purpose, the core purpose of your meeting, 
things will begin to flow. If you just think of all meetings as being the same, then it's going to be quite hard to be anything other than quite sort of generalized and almost compromised in terms of the way your meeting is structured. But as soon as you decide what style of meeting, what type of meeting it is, you can then begin to create the right kind of framework, the right kind of length of meeting that will allow you to keep a lot of control over what actually happens. And of course, the one key thing here is to really be beginning to think about the attendee relationships that you have. OK, so let's just kind of think about this from a um, an external meeting perspective to begin with then. OK, so this is a meeting. Let's just use as an example, a meeting that is with a uh, an important customer. And maybe they are bringing in a, two or three colleagues. So you've got your core contact and then you've got two or three colleagues that are coming into this meeting uh, to have have a meeting with you. Understanding where you and your organization is in the relationship with that customer is of paramount importance in terms of the way you shape and style the meeting. Now, what I always would recommend here is if you are talking about having a meeting with an external um, party, and this could be one or a number of people, is I would say begin by thinking where are they on the customer journey with us? So what is the kind of the depth of professional intimacy that we actually have with this customer? Are we at the awareness stage? So this is very early in their relationship. So we're trying to build awareness of what we do, the value that we can add. We're trying to build the confidence and trust. Is this a meeting where the relationship is all about the conversion? So we're actually, we're beyond that point of awareness. They know who we are. They know the value we're bringing. This is to do the deal because the style of meeting is gonna be very different if you're looking to encourage and stimulate that behavior. It's very different to the early stages in the relationship. And is potentially this particular meeting at a level where the relationship is actually you know, post sale. So you already have an existing relationship with them. And this meeting is all about retaining that loyalty, retaining the advocacy, retaining the customer. So if it is, the style of your meeting is going to be very, very different. The format of your meeting, the makeup of that meeting is going to be different. So think about, is this meeting about creating awareness of something? Is this meeting about actually getting and stimulating a conversion, i.e. a change in behavior? Do you want a commitment from your audience? Or is this all about building the relationship after that commitment's already in there? Now, I'm, I'm using the, the salesperson or the sales example here because it's quite a nice one. If you're customer facing, you'll kind of get that. But if this is a, an internal meeting, for example, and maybe you're setting up a new project or a new campaign, think about the attendee relationship. Is this you know, early in the stages of the campaign or the project? So you're going to have to kind of set the scene. You're building the awareness. You're building the confidence that this is going to be a good project to get involved with. Or are you getting commitment to budget? So that would be the conversion phase in the project. So then that's a different style of meeting. Or is this like a status update or is this a progress checking kind of uh, meeting? In other words, actually, the project is already up and running because, again, that's a different style and different type of meeting. So knowing where your attendees relationship is to the project or to you can, again, let you start to build an agenda that's relevant for you in terms of what you want to get out of it, but it's also relevant for the audience. 
That is really, really important. This is not one vanilla flavor style of meeting. This is a kind of meeting where we really need to be really, really mindful of actually what is happening in the minds of the attendees. So this is pure marketing in lots of ways. This isn't all about, I've got an agenda, we need a meeting, commit the time to me, and then, and then we're gonna just go. This is all about really understanding the little subtleties, the little nuances of each of the people who are attending and what their relationship is with you and all the project and all that customer commitment. Because once you start to do it at this level, then your meeting becomes a lot more effective. Okay, so I'm starting to talk here about the audience. So let's drill down a little bit more deeply into the audience within a meeting. Um, now, I always go as a, as a default, whenever I'm kind of doing any sort of communications planning or anything like that, I always go to, okay, who is my audience? Now, of course, within a meeting, it can be quite a complex thing. And there's quite a lot of research, quite a lot of science behind the idea of meeting archetypes. In other words, the typical preferences and behaviors of different kinds of people who will attend your meetings. So now I'm talking meetings in general. Okay, so this could be a sales meeting, but it could also be a project meeting, but it could also be a team meeting with you know, colleagues. And then you can do a big sort of search on this and find lots of really great examples of meeting archetypes to get your head around this idea that, you know, all of your attendees in your meetings are going to have a different perspective on the meeting. They're going to have a different level of expectation on your meeting. And they're also going to be viewing you and the little game playing that will go on within the meeting, this kind of dance that I'm talking about, and they will have a different perspective. So let's have a look at some of the um, example archetypes that you might find attending your meetings. And there's a lovely, lovely blog by Audrey C. Wong on her website, audreycwong.com. And you can go away and have a little read of this. But it's a really neat example of the different types of archetypes you might find attending a meeting. Now, of course, the big challenge for you is keeping everybody happy within your really effective meeting. And we'll kind of explore how we can do that a little bit later. But let's explore and let's meet some of these archetypes. So I'm just going to do these in order of the way that Audrey actually talks about them, because this is beautifully done. Um, she talks about the sniper. So this is somebody who is in your meeting just looking to kind of peck away at any of the positives um, that come out of the meeting. So if somebody says a good suggestion, the sniper comes in and just pecks away, gives a little negative kind of peck. Now, how are you going to cope with that? Are you watching out for that person? Are you very mindful to bring them in, hopefully in a more constructive way into the meeting? You've got the know-it-all, somebody who's like, oh, I've done this kind of project before. Let me tell you about you know, my experience. You've got the person who kind of like, it's all about me, the know-it-all. How are you going to manage that person? You might also encounter the bully. I love the way that Audrey talks about the bully, somebody who comes in to try and steamroll the whole meeting. In fact, they don't even want you as the chair of this meeting and the host, and they're going to try and take over. And that can be quite a complicated kind of relationship. And generally, the way I would manage them is to give them a very specific amount of set airtime. In other words, actually allocate them a particular point in the meeting where they can kind of literally take over, but you rein back control. The bully is always in the meeting. There's always one in a bigger meeting. 
you might find, and Audrey talks about the ticking time bomb. So this is that person who just kind of sits in the meeting quite quietly. They're kind of mulling things over and then suddenly, bang, they explode into the meeting. And you you had a meeting that you thought was going quite well. And suddenly there's all this shrapnel around and you're just trying to pick up pieces. You're trying to keep the time on track. The time bomb has just exploded. That doesn't happen in every meeting, but sometimes you'll find that archetype is in attendance. The trick is to pay attention at all times and just be very mindful of who's in the room kind of thing. The over-explainer is another really interesting archetype. The over-explainer will be the person who is going to really challenge your time management. And here, the trick with managing the over-explainer is to let them prioritise maybe the top two or three things that need covering. And do allow them a chance in the AOB, so that the any other business to kind of maybe come back and clarify or give them an opportunity within a breakout to go and do a deeper dive on what they want to talk about. But the trick here is, if you really have to, is to over talk and explain to everybody that, you know, that's a really valid point, that's really interesting, but we don't necessarily have time within this meeting to go that deeply. So maybe we'll arrange another meeting to, to go into that in more detail. So the over-explainer can be given the value of their input by allowing them to have a follow-up meeting. The naysaying technologist is another one that Audrey Wong uh, describes as a, as a meeting archetype. And this is really quite an interesting one because the, the technologist has that kind of almost that power in the meeting of just knowing a little bit more than you and I do. Um, they're kind of there from a technical perspective and they can always you know, pull the rug out from under our feet. They can always just put that little kind of that moment in where people then start questioning the way that things are being discussed. So the trick with them is to try and get them on side early on. So maybe you have a pre-meeting. I'm going to talk about pre-meetings in a moment, but maybe have a pre-meeting with the naysaying technologist so that they know that you get them. They know that you understand the value of their input because there's an ego thing going on here with that archetype. There's also the spy. Now, the spy is a very interesting meeting archetype in as much as you don't necessarily know what this alternate agenda is, but the spy, just by definition, will have another agenda. So it might be that they are looking to poach people from your project team to get them onto theirs. The spy might be somebody, particularly if this is an external meeting, who is here to glean a little bit more than you're aware of. So the spy can be managed by very much controlling the depth of the agenda and the topics that are going to be covered in the agenda for that meeting. If you have any queries or any kind of suspicions that there might be a spy in the room who's going to take some information out of the meeting and use it to the detriment of others, then it's often worth just keeping a very, very sort of fine sort of um, balance, if you like, in terms of the level of detail that this meeting goes into. Always, always, always in your back pocket, you have the opportunity to say, I think we need to park that one for this meeting, but let's arrange another meeting. And that's a really, really key tip to effectively hosting a meeting where you have multiple archetypes like this, because it allows you then to just say, it's a valid point, but we're going to cover that another time. So if you feel there's a spy in the meeting, you can use that little technique. Another one which I find so amusing is the angry elder. Audrey Wong talks about the angry elder. And I guess 
in a lot of uh, larger organizations, particularly well-established organizations, we've seen these characters. We know that they're here. Um, and you can spot them a mile off. They're the ones who sit there with their arms folded and, oh, when we did it like this last time, that'll never work because I know it'll never work. And they have this almost sort of innate bitterness inside them to kind of shoot you down if you come up with a good innovative idea. Well, that'll never work. So again, with them, it's like, well, thank you very much for your input. But are there ways that we might be able to kind of turn this one around? So maybe reframing and rephrasing a question or a particular point of view and asking for their valuable, wise input, because if they are an elder in the organization, even though they might be bitter and twisted, you can often turn that one around by just giving them the opportunity to maybe reframe their answer. And the final one that um, Audrey talks about is in the uh, typical meeting archetypes is the introvert. Now, I can really, really identify with this one because this is me. This I am the introvert in the, um, the archetype meeting setup. And the introvert typically is the one who's going to say very, very little. But when they do talk, it's worth listening. And the reason being is the introvert as a meeting archetype is the one who doesn't actually say a lot. But because they're actively listening and they're actively observing, they're often assimilating all the quality stuff from the noise that's going on around them. And because they're great reflectors, they often get um, misunderstood or they often get missed out of the conversation. But make sure if you're a meeting host, you can identify very, very quickly if you've got any introverts in the meeting, because they can be very, very valuable in terms of the summing up or the prioritizing or the cutting through the noise if it becomes a very busy, hectic meeting. Go to the introvert. There you'll go to for that kind of that cutting through the noise kind of um, perspective. So I just love those uh, those meeting archetypes from Audrey Wong. So if you want to read more about meeting archetypes, go to audreycwong.com and uh, see what Audrey says on this topic. And there are many, many others. I found um, another very, very good um, example here uh, from promptworks.com. And they talk about a number of other um, archetypes as well, things like the facilitator. Now, there are often uh, facilitators who are very empathic types who you will encounter in meetings and they want to be very inclusive. Now, this might be you. And inclusivity is a very, very strong um, skill or it's a very, very strong technique to practice within an effective meeting. Being a facilitator means that you are inclusive. So you are encouraging the inputs based on the preferences of each individual. The facilitator will spot very, very quickly in the room or in the virtual meeting, the people who have got something to add, but are much more comfortable about reflecting. So the introverts, typically, they will find it very easy to spot the people who don't want to be in a big, noisy team. And they might decide to put them very quickly into breakouts or they might give them the opportunity to reflect and then say, I'm going to come back to you towards the end of the meeting because, you know, I think you're going to have a good um, sort of number of points that you'd like to make, but I'm going to give you some space and time. Because, of course, when we talk about particularly team meetings, we often kind of think of this kind of extrovert world where everybody's you know chipping in, everybody's coming up with these great blue sky thoughts and ideas. 
And often for a lot of the meeting attendees, that isn't their preference. They're not of that archetype. And that can actually be quite discomforting and quite awkward for some people. So we've got as team um, hosts or as meeting hosts, we've got to be very mindful of the way that the different um, attendees within our meetings are going to be um, exhibiting their behaviours and their preferences. So being very observant of actually what's going on in our meetings is really, really critical to running an effective one. And it's never become any more critical than when we're working with different cultures different nationalities and different languages. So if, if um, your natural language, so let's talk about English in this particular example, if you have team players or team people in your meeting, uh, you maybe have customers in your meeting who don't have your language as their, their first language, then we have to be very mindful of that in terms of the way we structure the meeting, the speed at which the meeting is conducted and the language and style of that meeting. Um, some cultures and some nationalities do not um, exhibit the same kind of meeting styles as yours necessarily. Um, one that is actually a very, very clear one is um, if you have a meeting if you're very much of a, of a Western culture, uh, and I'm going to put myself into that uh, into that category, and maybe you're having uh, a meeting with, say, Japanese colleagues. And um, I know that um, I've been very, very mindful when I've been talking to, uh, to Japanese clients who I've had in the past of their meeting style is very, very different, fundamentally different to uh, the meeting style of a, of a, of a Western culture. Um, the pace is much more steady. It's much more measured. We don't have the peaks and troughs of energy flow. It's a very, very much more measured, controlled, calm kind of environment. And so we need to be mindful that if, if that, that is our audience, then we need to go there. We need to understand and practice the style of the culture and the nationality that we're working with. Um, and again, using the Japanese example here, um, typically with um, Japanese meetings, what you'll find is that if you think, oh, we're going to have a great big blue sky thinking meeting here and I want everybody's opinion. Come on, everybody contribute. That is not a Japanese style of doing business. The Japanese like to reflect. They like to um, internalize and be very, very quiet and sit with a concept or a question. Whereas in a uh, Western world, we'll be like, oh, well, who's looking around the room for the first person who's going to contribute? And in fact, let's do a round the room style meeting. So I want an answer from you. Then I want one from you and I want one from you. In Japanese culture, that would be actually quite insulting. That simply will not work. You will not get any feedback at all. So it's very, very interesting to then kind of invite in, in a suitable style inputs into the meeting. And it might be that a short written response is more effective than a um, let's do just do an open kind of idea dump into into the center of the meeting of you know all the kind of um, blue sky uh, sort of innovations that we want to be able to kind of this meeting with that simply won't work in that style of culture or that style of meeting so different meeting preferences different archetypes different behavioral styles are some of the fundamental building blocks of running an effective meeting 
So how do you actually begin to do that kind of thing? Well, I use the phrase pre-search. Okay, so this is kind of like pre-research. It's a play on words. But particularly if you are encouraging people to attend a meeting or you're inviting people, and especially if they're external people, so they could be from your agency or they could be a business partner or a reseller or a customer, you need to do your pre-search. This is your pre-research to find out who is going to be in my meeting. Actually, do they have specific preferences? Can I identify um, or maybe do a best guess at some of their archetypes or their kind of behavioral styles? Can I kind of figure this out in advance? Because if I can, then we're going to start this meeting on the front foot, not on the back foot. Because the last thing you really want to be doing is trying to figure that out as you're controlling the time and the agenda. So do your pre-search. Look your people up on Google. Do maybe a pre-connection on LinkedIn. Um, You can look at their other social media as well. Look at the business. Is there a particular style and tone of voice, maybe of this other business that you're going to be meeting with? Look at sort of the other colleagues who might be brought into the meeting. A lot of the time when you're working with external parties, what you might find in the meeting is it's not just your key contact who's going to attend. They might bring others in. So asking for the right people to be in on that meeting or that call is a really good way of at least gaining some sort of control over how this thing is going to work out. And of course, background knowledge like this allows you then to do away with all of that within the meeting and you can have a deeper discussion. And what you're doing is you're actually elevating the meeting to the next level before you even start. So this is all about doing your homework, do your pre-search before you even begin to create the agenda. So knowing the preferences, knowing the archetypes, knowing a little bit about the background allows you to shape up the essence of what your meeting is going to be which, of course, then brings in the whole subject of planning. And this becomes particularly important if you're planning an online meeting. So I'm going to focus a little bit more here on the the blended or online meetings, because for a lot of us, this is kind of what what it's all about right now, because only a few of us are now kind of going back into the the sort of face-to-face meeting. So let's kind of focus on an online meeting in terms of planning. It reads across into kind of real-world experience as well, but let's focus for, for the moment on online. So where are you in the customer or the other people's journey um, or the sales process that we talked about before? And in fact, is this actually going to be focused on that? So in other words, have you got a very clear outcome that you want from the attendees? So do you want them to commit to something? Do you want the attendees to sign on the dotted line as to, okay, I'm committing to this project or to this sale? So what is the ultimate goal of the meeting? Do you need, as you go into creating the plan for your meeting and the agenda, do you need a pre-call with the attendees? Do you need to kind of preempt what is going to be done sort of upstream of the meeting? And who are you going to have on the call? And most importantly, why do you want them there in the meeting? If you can't answer the question, why is this person being invited? then it's a very, very good sort of question to actually ask whether they need to be there at all. And if you're being invited to meetings, be quite stringent in the way that you critique the importance of an upcoming meeting. Don't just accept every meeting invitation. Get the meeting host to explain to you very, very clearly your inputs and the requirements of you being in that meeting. And also what would a great outcome be? Because if you can set that desired outcome, it's part of what I'm going to call here a valued contract with the attendees of the meeting. If there is no kind of agreement there as to what is a great outcome, what is the desired outcome of the meeting, 
then you must question really why are we having a meeting at all? If it is just a bit of a catch up, well, surely there's better ways of doing that. That's not actually a meeting. That's a catch up. That's a social call. And that might be more appropriate to where you are in that relationship. So be really, really critical, not negative, but critical and balance off whether really you need a meeting of that sort of nature. And also, if it is an online meeting, are you ready to screen share? Have you got all of your assets all there ready to go? Because your time here needs to be an investment. OK, this is not spending time in a meeting. This is investing time in a meeting. In other words, you and all the attendees need to see a positive outcome from however this meeting is going to shape up and how it's going to go. So you've planned your meeting, you've got your agenda. Let's now talk about how you can start to build rapport in the meeting. OK, now this applies both to online meetings, blended meetings, but also to face to face meetings and building rapport is all about building the um, the intimacy, if you like, with the meeting attendees. OK, so this applies to every style of meeting. And what we're going to be doing as hosts is thinking about the mirror effect. OK, this is all about body language. Um, and if you're in an online meeting, what you want is everybody's camera on. OK, I personally don't allow meetings if I'm hosting them where anybody's got the camera off unless it's for 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 very, very specific reasons. But I want the meetings to be with cameras on. OK, because this is going to mirror uh, a real world example. Because I want to be able to see and help the, the attendees in the meeting to mirror the kind of tone of voice, the body language, the style with which I'm hosting the meeting. So to me, that's a really important thing to be doing is, you know, you need to be practicing what you're preaching. So if you want a certain style of meeting, you need to be conveying that through you know, your both your tone of voice and the way that you convey you know, the messages within the meeting. But in essence, what you need to be doing as well is kind of demonstrating the behavior that you want to be coming back to you from the attendees. So we call that that's the mirror effect. Lots and lots of research on this. Well worth looking at if you're into body language and how to use it within a meeting. And also, importantly, embracing silence. OK, a lot of people feel, particularly now in online meetings, I've got to fill the space. You know, I can't allow people to kind of reflect on things and, and mull things over for a minute. I need an instant answer. And, you know, you, you post the question as the meeting host, you know, so does anybody have a view on this? And then you're waiting for the answer and, oh, nobody's spoken. OK, so I'm going to fill that void. And what you don't give people a chance to do is to just ease into the question and come back with a quality response. So I would encourage you to both do the mirror effect, but also embrace silence. That is a key way of building rapport with the individuals within the meeting as you're having those conversations. Now, it might be that you're looking to build rapport from a presentation in a meeting. OK, so part of the meeting is you doing a presentation and that is to build the, um, the relationship with the attendees. And what I would say is you can use a phrase that's really, really helpful at the start of the meeting by actually just setting the scene by saying the words, this is a productive meeting. And it, by just literally saying those words and then following up with what you then want to talk about, it just raises the energy level of the meeting. OK, it doesn't make it super exciting, but it just brings anything that might have turned into a bit of a neutral. It brings it into the positive again. So remember that phrase. This is a productive meeting. And now I want to tell you a story about. And then you go into your presentation. 
Okay, so it is about storytelling. Presentations in meetings are not really presentations. You can send those things as PDFs in terms of status updates. You can send those things through Microsoft Teams or by email. That's not what a meeting is for. It's not really about a presentation. It's about the storytelling of the value behind the presentation. Okay, so that's what people really have come to hear because they can read the numbers. They don't need to see the numbers and to have you talk them through. What they want is the story behind it. Where's the value? Where's the outcomes? What do we need to do next? So building rapport in a presentation is not about going through your presentation slides. It's about helping people to understand a broader context. It's about understanding the higher level, what I always call the clothes hanger, that overarching message. And that generally is the leave behind. If they only remember one thing from the presentation, then you've got the rapport. Okay, so you've got to decide what is this one thing I want them to leave behind. And it probably is only 10% of the message. You've probably got 90% of your presentation is all about the data. It's all about the detail, but they're only going to remember 10%. So what is your 10% message? Well, it should be the overarching value that your presentation brings, not the detail behind it. That's a leave behind or something you can follow up with. So again, important you set the context right. And an interesting one as well, particularly in an online presentation, is that if you want to draw people's attention and really build rapport and help them to understand the journey you're taking them on, use the colour blue. There's a lot of research behind the psychology of colour in meetings and how it's used to keep people on a flow. Blue is your call to action colour. So if you want to draw people and keep them on side with you. You know, it's a very subtle little um, little prompt or little technique, but use the color blue. So if you want them to focus on a point on the screen, if everything else is in red or in gray or whatever, if you want them to focus on a point, make it blue. That is the color of the call to action. And by making their life easier, it's easier for them to follow the story. And if they're following the story, you both get to an end point in that presentation where it's a win-win. It's a mutually beneficial end point. So again, you're going to be felt of as the host that really understood me, the host that really understood the rest of the audience, and basically the host that was active listening. And this is what, again, we need to do. Running effective meetings is all about actively listening to the audience as we go through the meeting. So we've prepared it. We've planned it. We know our archetypes. We know how they're going to respond. We've got the agenda of the meeting. We know what the expectations are. We've presented to them. But we also, in parallel to that, need to be actively listening. Okay. So we need to be watching for eye drift. Okay, we need to be watching for those little moments, particularly in an online meeting where you see somebody's eyes drifting away and then they're going from left to right and left to right. And I know what they're doing. They're reading their emails. Of course, we don't want that. We want them to focus on a good output. We want to focus on them inputting to the meeting in an appropriate way. So as soon as you see eye drift, as soon as you see any kind of lack of attention, or maybe you just see their heads moving away from the screen, so they're really not focused in on you, that is the time to either ask them a direct question, is to bring the meeting back to a particular point, or move on to the next point on the agenda. You have the opportunity here to punctuate your meetings. You're in control, both of the time and of the agenda. So use that if you spot any of your attendees drifting. Okay, as soon as you've got drifting going on, they're out of the meeting. 
and it's not a really helpful thing to you. So then focusing back on the next questions, being a focus on the goals and the priorities of the meeting brings everybody back into line again. And of course, a meeting as you're going through it is this, and I've used this phrase dance, and it is a dance. You're going and you're ebbing and flowing as you go through the agenda and through the time. But by actively watching, you know when it's time to speed up. You know when it's time to pull off and ease off the gas and just give people a little bit more space and time to express themselves. So it is about the ebb and flow of how you are watching the response of the audience. And this has never become more important than actually when you have a meeting with your manager, because what the manager wants is not for you to give them an update. Again, an update can be something you send in advance. What your meetings with your manager need to be about is very, very effective active listening, but also going in with solutions, not problems. Be the member of the team or be the person that has the meeting your manager wants. And that isn't because you take them problems, it's because you take them solutions. And also in meetings with your manager, it is all about playing to their ego. Now that's not about giving them lots and lots of compliments. What it is about though, is about giving them data, information, stories, um, evidence that allows them to look good. Okay, this is an important use of the manager's meeting. So when you get that 20 minutes or 30 minutes with your manager, particularly if you're in a large team, it probably isn't going to be any more than that. It's time to play to the manager's ego, feeding them with information that makes and helps them look good, helps you then to be the meeting your manager wants. Because it's like every time I have that meeting with Neil, wow, he feeds me stuff that is just so useful because then I can use that and I can look good. Even if subconsciously that is how they feel, then you become the meeting your manager wants and you will get invited into more meetings. You will become that you know, person who we can go beyond the agenda because we can now start talking innovation and ideas. You become added value. So meetings with your manager is something that you're kind of co-hosting because generally you'd say, well, actually, if it's with my manager, that means that the meeting is kind of hosted by them. But no, this is co-hosting. This is allowing that ebb and flow, building that professional intimacy by playing to their ego, making them look good, but also you know, very much bringing solutions, not problems. And ultimately, that's really what you're asking for from all your attendees in all the meetings that you have. It isn't about identifying problems and then going all super negative on it. It's about switching the narrative around, switching the way that you frame a question so that it encourages and stimulates solutions, not problems. Now, of course, this often comes up in, and I'm going to just flip back into the um, online sales meeting agenda here for a moment, is because often that will be, and we call those kind of barriers to sales. Uh, we call those kind of challenges. And we all know that that will come up. So if we're in a sales meeting, for example, and uh, we know that we want to have time to establish some rapport, we want to listen to the customer, we want to tell them some stories without our products and services being in there, you know, great examples where customers just like them have had, you know, great experiences working with us, all of those things that we know are true. But ultimately, Actually, a really effective and particularly online sales meeting is the really um, respected use of your time and of their time. 
Okay, so they have to feel that this was valuable time. You're not going to get the meeting in the first place if your uh, proposal or your agenda it doesn't show a good potential use or investment of time. So you've got to figure out how am I going to show and demonstrate to everybody I want on this call? And the sales meeting example is a lovely one because we know customers can be really tough. So use that one as an example and think, how can I structure a meeting within a certain boundary of time? And it's probably going to be about half the amount of time I'd like to spend. But how can I actually structure a meeting that allows us both to get a win-win but that also means that the other party or other parties are going to come out of this feeling that was an investment of my time. So not I'm going to spend my time with this person, but I'm going to invest my time in this person. And it probably is that you're giving them something really valuable to take away that makes their life easier. And that will apply to internal meetings, team meetings, management meetings, meetings with your boss, as well as sales meetings. It's a really important way of dealing with that. So what we're left with then towards the end of the meeting then is how are we going to follow this thing up? Because the meeting and a meeting in its own right is only just a meeting. So some of the most effective meetings are not what actually happened within the meeting, but actually what happened afterwards. In other words, are we going to have a follow up? Are we going to you know, take them to the next step on the customer journey or on the team journey? Um, if they've got their screens on, which they probably have, if it's an online meeting follow up, then let's book those meetings in now. Let's book in that follow up call and let's agree how we're going to follow up, because it might be that that one meeting was plenty enough. We don't need to do another meeting. Actually, what we need to do is some project work. Well, what we need to do is do the deal and convert the sale into a sale. But interestingly, you know, if we take the sales thing as an example, uh, Marketing Wisdom did some research on how many deals are closed at the first meeting. And it turned out to be only one in 50 deals are closed upon the first meeting. So we have to exhibit patience here. So an effective meeting host isn't expecting to crack all the problems and solve the world's crises all in one meeting. So it's about figuring out where does this meeting actually sit in a broader um, portfolio of meetings? OK, don't necessarily think you can crack it all in one go because you probably can't. So where does this meeting follow on to? What do I want all my meeting attendees to do next? How am I going to engage with them and follow up? Yes, I'll probably want to get some feedback on how do you think that meeting went? Did you enjoy it? You know, what could I have done differently? All of those kind of feedback loops are really useful. But in terms of the practicality of the outcomes of the meeting, what do I want for that meeting next? It's a really, really important one to consider because your meeting is just one part of a flow of communication. It is not the end game. Even if you're not familiar with running lots of meetings, know that the next step is going to be something else. It's going to be another form of um, sort of part of the journey. It's another step in the journey. So how do you actually effectively close a meeting? This is going to be the final bit that we're going to be talking about here, because effective meeting closure is actually as important, if not even more important than the initial meeting agenda. Now, for a lot of people, that's pretty counterintuitive because surely it can't be as important as you know what we're going to talk about. But actually, meeting closure is 
super, super important because adding closure to the meeting agenda, maybe you know, at least five minutes for closing the meeting successfully positions you as a very competent, confident and capable meeting host. So the most effective meetings obsess about how we're going to effectively close the meeting. Okay, and this will include things like a summary of the outcomes and importantly, whether the desired outcomes that you've established up front with all of the attendees, whether or not they've been achieved and not just getting feedback from the person who's the noisiest in the meeting, those archetypes we talked about earlier. This is all about everybody in the meeting. You want the feedback from everybody. So has everybody had some form of desired outcome? And if not, what can we do differently next time? So this continuous learning of actually what happened, it could have been the style of the meeting. It could be that actually we didn't have the right people in the room. It could be we didn't have enough time or maybe we had too much time. Understanding actually what happens for everybody from everybody's perspective is the key to your next meeting being even more effective than this current one. And of course, ensuring that follow ups, any kind of follow up is assigned with target dates for completion. So if it's a project meeting or if it's a sales um, and prospecting meeting or if it's some kind of meeting to discuss a particular campaign, knowing who's going to do exactly what and, and when they're going to do it by is a form of contract, if you like, at the end of the meeting. And there's no better way as a meeting host of asserting authority and complete clarity than by a careful assignment and targeting with dates for when all of the follow-ups are going to happen. And then, of course, you've got to follow it up. So making sure you see this through. So the meeting time, if this was a one-hour meeting, this one-hour meeting in its entirety is probably going to be about three hours. One hour for the meeting, one hour for preparation, and one hour for follow-up afterwards. So don't think of your meetings as just being little bite-sized chunks of time. These are proper entities for building pure professional relationships. And the final, final, final bit of meeting closure, the really, really key bit here, is asking all attendees by name if they wish to add anything before you close the meeting. OK, so even the quietest person and probably it will be the quietest person in the meeting will probably at this point in the procedure say, OK, well, I've just been listening and I've observed this. And suddenly it's like, oh, my Lord, there's there it is. There's the final little comment that was made by somebody who was super quiet. But there's the topic for our next meeting, because, wow, none of the rest of us, because we were talking, we were actively listening, but we weren't reflecting. And you did because you were quiet in the corner. You gave the value of where we're going to take this thing next. So make sure as meeting host, you answer everybody's needs, but you attend to everybody by name at the closure, the final bit of the closure before you close the meeting to make sure you've got everybody's feedback really, really effectively. It is so, so critical to leaving everybody with a feeling of confidence that actually they've had full value from the meeting. And so my final tip that I'd like to suggest here in running effective meetings is, um, and it can be summed up um, by a comment that came through from rhythmsystems.com, and this for me just sums everything up, is creating a full value contract for every meeting a full value contract for every meeting. In other words, everybody who attends in advance of the meeting can express 
a desired outcome for that meeting that gives a consistent and consensual win-win situation for you as the host. In other words, you find out exactly what a desired outcome would be for them, and you write that into a value contract in the meeting. Okay, so you set a contract with everyone who attends so that by the end of the meeting, you can then gauge whether everybody got the full value from that meeting. You don't have to do this formally. You can do this informally if it's people you're meeting consistently, but it's a really great mindset. It's a really great mantra for running effective meetings, particularly blended, you know, sort of complicated, chaotic, blended meetings that we're all in at these days, that getting a full contract a full value contract for every meeting that you do allows you and everyone who attends to get the best possible value out of the conversations, the agenda and the outputs from that meeting that they have. So to me, that's one of the really, really key things that we need to be focusing on as we go through the rest of uh, this particular series and you'll you'll know that we have a number of different other uh, sort of topics uh, in this particular series and I just I'm finding this really really fascinating as we're kind of going off at uh, uh, little kind of tangents uh, in this series and uh, really exploring some of the deeper kind of things that people are finding most challenging right now and I think this has been one that as I said right at the outset um, has been one that uh, has been by popular demand because a lot of people have said okay it's fine when I can get people together and you know we're talking all this great marketing theory but how can I actually manage a meeting more effectively and so of course this is something we need to practice all of the uh, the topics that we've been covering in this series so far this year and we'll continue to to run uh, sort of through deeper into the year are all about putting these things into practice so I hope that there have been enough uh, sort of ideas and things for you to kind of go away and explore um, sort of uh, for your own meetings. And, and again, start small. This is one of the key things about these topics is start small and local. You know, you don't have to be then saying, right, I need a meeting with everybody in my business to be able to make this thing happen. Do it with just one other person, but follow some of these little techniques and ideas because it allows you to kind of see which ones work for you. Not everything that I'm talking about here, you'll either have time or inclination for. Um, maybe if you're doing lots of meetings, the archetypes thing is going to be great for you to experiment with and play with. Maybe if you haven't got the time or inclination to do that, it's all about actually doing your pre-search. If you're customer facing, you know, taking meetings online and seeing how you can do sales meetings online could be your next thing. So take things at a manageable pace, but do explore some of these techniques. I've seen these with clients and have worked on all of these concepts and personally, and I've seen these fundamentally change how stuff kind of outcomes at the end of of meetings so i know this stuff works but you've got to find out which elements really work for you so have a little play with that so the next one that we're going to do and i'm just going to go over to the q and i've got a couple of questions uh, that i want to cover so i'm going to cover those in just as just a second um, but the next um in the series uh, of these uh, fortnightly uh, webinars is the one on the 25th of february which is finding your business ikigai um, now this is a really fascinating one that will include uh, finding your business higher purpose uh, we're going to delve into marketing sustainability which is a really hot topic right now um, so we're going to 
look at how you can actually get your business doing more of the things that it loves and that it makes profit from, but that are right for the planet and are right for all of the stakeholders. So if, if any of that stuff kind of resonates with you, finding your business ikigai, the true higher purpose of your business, um, topic I'm absolutely passionate about, um, is something that I'd love to share with you some ideas on that one on the 25th of February. So uh, come along to marketingcollege.com slash events to register for that one. And also, if you're new to this webinar series, I mean, I know uh, quite a few of you are coming back for uh, multiple uh, episodes of this, but if you are new to this and uh, you haven't um, come along to this before, uh, do connect with me at Neil Wilkins X um, on all of the social channels, uh, particularly LinkedIn. It'd be lovely to connect with you uh, there. And obviously, then I can keep you updated with uh, more topics like this uh, in the series. So hopefully that will be uh, of interest. Be lovely to connect with, uh, obviously, people on the call. So if you've got any questions, I'm just going to field some of the questions. We've got a couple of questions that have come through on the Q&A and uh, on the chat. If you have any, pop those in now and I'll see if I can quickly uh, cover those with you. Uh, but Lucy asks, uh, Lucy says, thanks for the tips. Uh, when presenting in a... Uh, sorry, I missed that uh, just for a second. There. Lucy says, thanks for the, for the tips. How do I increase my confidence when presenting in a Zoom meeting? Well, I would suggest um, there, uh, Lucy, probably doing um, a set of very, very short presentations. Don't do big presentations. Um, try to just practice the whole concept of screen share um, and maybe taking your audience, uh, maybe do it with your team. So some of your colleagues, maybe doing it in uh, maybe a short, maybe just even two or three um, slide presentations. So don't try and do anything too big to start with. I think for a a lot of people um, in Zoom meetings, um, it is the kind of the fear of pressing the wrong button. So I think, you know, have a little play, maybe even if it's just with one colleague to start with, to familiarise yourself with the buttons. Um, doing a screen share for a lot of people is quite a daunting thing because they think, oh my gosh, I'm going to shut everybody out of the meeting if I get it wrong. Um, so learn the tech and learn the technology. I think that's uh, that's going to be a really, really good one. Um, Abby asks, uh, should I encourage my team to always be in the office for our team meetings? Mm, that's an interesting one. I think as a lot of organizations are now moving back into uh, into the workplace after the, uh, the the big global crisis, they're not necessarily doing quite so many uh, blended meetings now. I think it really depends, Abby, on your own personal preference here. Um, I think if you are seeing that you get more value in terms of the, the human interaction, so if you're very much an empathic person and um, you pick up more from the kind of the face-to-face -face body language and you found that a bit of a struggle when you've been um, literally just seeing the, you know, the head and shoulders of, uh, of your colleagues and I think maybe it could be time to experiment with that but I think maybe it is about experimentation I'm kind of answering my own question here um, because maybe do a very similar meeting in uh, a blended sense or in a virtual sense and then maybe do one where you do ask everybody to come back into the office and see whether maybe practicing some of these techniques it kind of feels different maybe Maybe some of the outputs are different. And so I think maybe, yeah, just being very mindful of the differences that you're seeing could be a very useful way of kind of judging. And I, th I don't think there is one size fits all. I don't think I can really um, sort of genuinely answer that question, honestly, apart from experiment with all the options, really. But um, yeah, I wish, wish you luck with that one. And it'd be very interesting to hear, you know, how that one goes. 
Um, question from Marjorie. Marjorie says, uh, what do you do if you sense that some people in the meeting don't respect you as chair? <sighs> Lovely question. Uh, say if you're new to it or you're standing in for something your manager normally deals with. Wow, what a question. I love this one. Um, so it's all about respect. I, I always feel that um, respect comes from inclusion. Um, I think even if you are um, maybe potentially quite junior and you have more what we might term senior people within the meeting, um, that I don't think should make any issue at all. I think one of the quick ways of you know, dealing with that or kind of coping with that is to basically invite opinion. Um, I think it's all about choreographing the opinion and how you manage that opinion. Um, so I think maybe don't beat yourself up as though um, it's like, oh, people won't respect me because they're more senior and what do I know? And then kind of almost play these little internal stories. I think one of the key things is to just be confident that, you know, you do have the chair, you do have the agenda, you're the manager of the time. And as long as I think you're just very mindful to include everybody, don't let anybody kind of slip through because it might be that somebody is there kind of testing whether you're going to give them some airtime. Um, and that's often where the animosity might come from is if you don't give them the space to talk. So, yeah, my encouragement would be make sure everybody is included. So be very inclusive as a uh, as a chair if it isn't something that necessarily uh, you're doing all the time. But lovely question. That's a great question. So thank you for those uh, those uh, those uh, questions, those little challenges to the uh, to the framework. It's been really great uh, sort of talking uh, through those. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've uh, really enjoyed this one. This is uh, really good. I'm very conscious of the time. And I know lots of you will have meetings to uh, head off into now. So we're going to call this one to a close. But thank you very much for your inputs. It's been really, really good. And remember the next one on the 25th, uh, 25th of February, uh, same time, uh, we'll be finding your business Ikigai. And uh, very much look for forward to seeing you there. So head over to marketingcollege.com slash events and enjoy the rest of your day. And if you're heading off into a meeting, hopefully that's given you a lot of ways of uh, maybe supporting the host of the, uh, the upcoming meeting that you're going into. So thank you very much for attending again. And uh, I wish you a very, very good day going forward.